Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mark My Words here on the Life Coach Radio Network. I'm Mark Shaw, broadcasting live from downtown Toronto, Canada, as I'm traveling from my home away from New York City. I'm a certified life and business coach, and twice per month I host Mark My Words, which is a life coaching-oriented show where I interview various people with inspiring life stories of overcoming adversity. I also speak with authors of great coaching-related books and programs, as well as many others who have great things to say. And sometimes I coach listeners who call in live on the air. So tune in the first and third Sunday of every month. Tonight, I am honored to be interviewing a very special woman. Uh, I met Jane Clemente when I was performing a musical piece with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus in memory of her son, Tyler Clemente. Tyler's name may sound familiar to you. Uh, In 2010, just five years ago, Tyler entered his freshman year in college at Rutgers University. He was about to begin the next phase of his young adult life, the youngest of three sons in his family, a talented violin player and a unicyclist. But his life was cut short. After an incident in which he was cyberbullied and publicly humiliated, Tyler ended his life by suicide. His story received national attention, and it pushed a national conversation about bullying and teen suicide, especially among gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender teens, further into the spotlight. Having been a constant victim of physical and verbal bullying myself throughout my childhood and teen years, I wept as I heard of Tyler's story on the news when it happened, as I did whenever I'd heard of another teenager committing suicide each time such a story made the news in the few years prior. Like many, I kept saying, something needs to be done about this, and enter now the Clementi family. Jane, her husband Joe, and their other two sons, out of their suffering through this tragedy, have created the Tyler Clementi Foundation, whose mission is to end online and offline bullying in schools, workplaces, and faith-based communities through education, advocacy, and research so that no other families need to go through something like this. So tonight, we're going to meet Jane as she tells her story, shares her journey, the lessons, the pain, the hope, and the strengths that have led her to where she is today. We'll hear about the programs of the foundation, such as the Upstander Speaker Series, the Upstander Pledge, the Day One Campaign, and the Tyler Clemente Higher Education Anti-Harassment Act, introduced last March into Congress. I'm proud of the work that Tyler Clemente Foundation has done, and I'm proud to have been a part of the commissioning and performance of the musical piece, Tyler's Suite, which we'll also speak about. And I'm honored that Jane has made herself available to join us here tonight on Mark My Words. Jane, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here with you this evening. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad you're here. So uh, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, before we begin, I want to remind listeners that uh, we will be taking calls. So if you would like to call into the studio, the number is 646-716-9397. And you can also post your questions to the chat room on the Blog Talk radio screen. So, Jane, thank you so much again for being here. I, I just I want you to know it's truly a privilege to have you on Mark My Words, giving me the opportunity to, to help spread the word about and support the work of the Tyler Clemente Foundation. I know you're an enormously busy woman with all the work that you're doing for the foundation. It took us a while to uh, be able to land on a date to get you here. So I'm, I'm honored and I'm privileged. And uh, I also want to personally express to you um, how sad I still am and sorry I am for the loss of your wonderful son five years ago. Thank you. You're very kind. Certainly, certainly. Um, And I imagine, too, Jane, um, that even though you speak of what happened to 
quite often, it could still be difficult to discuss at times. So I just want you to know that I remain sensitive to that throughout uh, throughout this interview. So, thank you. Certainly. Um, I had the privilege through my experience with the commission and performance of Tyler Sweet to get to know a little more about the Tyler that you know, as opposed to the Tyler that the media shared with uh, the nation. Um, I'm looking forward to helping my listeners get to know that Tyler as well. So uh, can we start there? Uh, Of course, in the weeks that followed the tragedy, everyone came to know and recognize Tyler's name. Uh, It's been uh, exactly five years now. And some of that recognition has faded from the minds of the general public. So can I ask you to tell us the story about what happened to Tyler? Sure. Um, you you did a great job encapsulating it. Um, everything, I guess, pretty much started in September of 2010, just mm-hmm. shortly after Tyler started his freshman year at Rutgers University. Um, it was there... Um, then in September, where he that he was webcammed when he was engaged in a sexual encounter with another man. Uh, his roommate then tweeted about Tyler's encounter, inviting many others to come and watch, join in and watch um, something, announcing a very private moment to the entire world, or at least as I would think Tyler perceived it at that moment. Um, and that was just a very personal moment uh, um, that should have remained just that a private encounter. Um, I can't even imagine what those bullying actions by his roommate must have felt like for Tyler. He must have been so humiliated in front of his new dorm mates that he was just starting to reach out and meet and become friends with. Um, He may have even thought that, um, Tyler may have even thought that maybe um, his sexual orientation was something to be laughed at or ashamed of um, as the tweets were going out, and um, that seemed to be what, the people on the other end of the the Facebook posts and the tweets were saying and doing. Um, Tyler must have felt very, very alone and isolated, worthless, maybe mm-hmm. even, and obviously very desperate because of those bullying actions, because it was at that point that Tyler made a decision that we can't ever go back and change or undo. And on September 22, 2010, Tyler died by suicide. Uh, he was 18 years old. And um, that was a devastating point for our family and for my husband and I. Um, And as hard as we would love to go back and try to change Tyler's actions, we can't. But what my husband and I decided was that we could move forward um, and and make change, change in the mindsets and attitudes of people who think that those kinds of actions, actions like setting up a camera, invading someone's privacy and tweeting messages like, come join in and watch the show, that they're acceptable because they're not. not, That's one of the things I really want to stress and say perfectly clearly, that those are not acceptable actions. And that's Mm -hmm. why my husband Joe and I started the Tyler Clemente Foundation, um, so that no one else would ever feel the pain or humiliation or the shame that Tyler felt. Um, It's certainly not wasn't an easy decision for me, and I certainly didn't make it quickly. It has mm-hmm. taken me a long time to really figure out what that actually means, but um, the p- p- focus of our foundation now is to end all online and offline bullying in schools, workplaces, and faith communities, as you had stated, um, and that is our mission now, to make that a reality. Mm. And I, I imagine little did you know that that would be your life's mission one day. Never in oh, my wildest dreams could I have ever thought that <laughs> at yeah. all. Sure. Wow. What's it like to talk about it? I mean, like I said earlier, you talk about it a lot, of course. And it's it's so intensely personal. What's that like? Um. It is extremely personal, and it is very difficult, and yet at times I feel like I'm almost like disassociating from it really being me Mm. in order to be able to go out and continue the conversations. And that's what I think happened in in the fall of 2010. Unfortunately, as you said, there were many other deaths, um, young gay young men and women who took their own lives and it really um was a very terrible time but a good thing out of that came 
conversation and lots and lots of um, awareness and changing of some people's hearts and minds, which is what we're focusing on, trying to create mm-hmm. a change and ignite a change in culture or in change in our society. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I would imagine that you, the, you're kind of describing a, uh, a sort of dissociation, right, that I guess is a, a pretty normal defense mechanism that we're programmed with uh, so that we can carry on in those kinds of uh, in those kinds of instances. So um, I, I, I'm in such admiration of you and your family for being able to do this work after going through what you went through. Um, so uh, I just want to acknowledge you, all of you, for that. Thank you. Certainly. So tell me, tell us a little bit about uh, your journey over the last five years. What what have you learned about yourself or about the world? It has certainly been a journey, that is for sure. Um, I... Um, I've had my own personal journey, but I've also learned a lot about things that I never thought much about. Mm-hmm. Um, learned a lot about um, bullying, um, that it's really basically a power struggle and a power imbalance between people. Um, the, the science and the research behind bullying, um, and some of the statistics, um, the sad statistic that LGBT youth are four to seven times more likely to have thoughts or attempts at suicide is was just astronomical and something I had never thought about before. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we really focus on is something that I learned about the fact that in a bullying situation, there are there's much more than just the the target or the victim and the the bully or the aggressor, but in 80% of those um, bullying situations, there are bystanders. And mm-hmm. that's something that I noticed right away in Tyler's situation, that there were many bystanders, there were many, many witnesses. Um, and that's why one of the things that we speak to at the foundation is turning bystanders, someone that sees someone being harmed um, with uh, repetitive or an unwanted aggressive behavior to make those people that are bystanders and doing nothing into upstanders, somebody that speaks up and speaks out um, and trying to prevent and and helping the targeted person. Uh, I think that that's key. Um, and I think there's several ways that somebody can do that. Uh, certainly the easiest way, I think, is to speak to a, an adult, um, a trusted um, adult or Mm-hmm. A leader that you can reach out to, um, and certainly that would hopefully be the safest because we never ever want anyone else to come into harm's way. But mm-hmm. by reaching out to an adult, um, we y- you can uh, make sure that the target is safe um, and make sure that they have resources and that the bullying situation um, ceases and stops. Um, if you feel comfortable and you know who the aggressor is, you can um, speak to the to the bully, to the aggressor. Sometimes it's out of um, ignorance too. Sometimes the bullying is in because of uh, words or um, mm-hmm. homophobic slurs or possibly racial slurs that they're using, and maybe out of some kind of ignorance they don't even realize it. They might think that it's funny because, or or think that that's the cool thing to do because it's talking back to the power struggle that we were talking about. Um, young people think that that's how they can rise up that social ladder um, and maybe just by saying, you know, we don't think that that's acceptable here in this environment, in our community, in our in our social circles here. So sometimes mm-hmm. just putting that aggressor in, in, in the right place and, and changing the tone in the atmosphere is all you really need to do. Um, and certainly the yeah. third way, which I think would have really had a big um, – bearing in Tyler's story is reaching out to the, to the target, to the to the victim, making sure that they're safe, making sure that they know their resources and know where to go for help and support, and making sure that they just even know that they have a friend. Um, to our knowledge, no one reached out to Tyler in that time, and I think that that would have had a 
very different outcome to the story if the someone had reached out. Um, sure. And as far and those are the things that I've learned that I put into practice in my um, in the foundation work and in our mission. But for me personally, I've mm-hmm. certainly had a journey of faith also um, mm-hmm. that I've needed to to um, rely more heavily on God in this really deep dark place of sadness that I've been journeying through for the last five mm-hmm. years. So it's certainly been a, a long journey um, on many levels. Yeah, I'm sure it has. One. Yeah. I'm sure it has. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I think I, I love the whole idea of being an upstander instead of a bystander and, and speaking up and speaking out. And it, it's kind of, you know, using the same peer pressure that we know uh, particularly young people are, are subject to, um, but using it you know, and leveraging it that if the peer pressure goes in the direction of speaking up and saying, hey, this isn't right, it could be very effective. Um and I don't know if you're aware, I just saw actually on uh, was on Dr. Phil the other day, he had on a kid who actually was an upstander to a bully who was physically beating a classmate who was legally blind. Oh, my gosh. Um, it, was, it was just terrible. And But somebody caught on video, uh, they caught the kid running over, and the kid was like half the size of the bully, and he ran and tackled him. And chased him and screamed and yelled at him, like, what is wrong with you? And then reached out to the victim as well. And Dr. Phil had both the the kid that was bullied and the kid that rescued him uh, on his show. And they were really celebrating um, what he did as an upstander. And I think that's the direction we need to move. That's the kind of publicity that needs to, uh, to be going on out there, uh, celebrating the heroes, which are the people that stand up to this stuff. Right. Creating a kindness is cool kind of culture, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so, wow, you know, I, I as I mentioned in, in uh, at the top of the show, you know, I was bullied for being gay as a kid. You know, my my whole life, I was physically harassed, I was verbally harassed, I was humiliated in class, and you know, it's it, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And I I had the opportunity of going back to my high school um, a couple of years ago through a program with uh, an organization called Live Out Loud, which is an LGBT youth advocacy group, uh, where they have adult gay role models go back to their high schools and talk with students uh, about what it was like to grow up gay in those hallways. So there I am at my high school 30 years later and uh, talking about my experiences. And I do have to say that it was absolutely wonderful hearing how much has changed since I was in high school um, in that... Some of the kids could not believe the stories I was telling about what had happened to me. They just couldn't believe that other kids would have done that. And I was delighted to hear that they had trouble believing it because the world is so different today. And at the same time, there's still so much more work that needs to be done. Um, And uh, especially, you know, depending on uh, the location that we're talking about, right? You know, some places... Um, things are better, and some places things haven't changed all that much. So there's so much work to be done, and I'm just really glad that you and your family are out there doing it. Thank you. And I I do think, too, that there has, even in the last five years, I've seen much change. And I think telling stories is a great way to start, and you going back and telling your story is part of that. We all have Mm -hmm. stories, and I think sharing stories makes it much more... um, it really speaks to people's hearts and really changes um, when they can really identify with a person. And I think specifically, uh, our, we we talk to bullying for all, all, any and all reasons, and people are bullied for any and all reasons. Sometimes mm-hmm. too smart, sometimes too too thin, too too heavy, whatever, physical, and um, as well as the main reason, though, still the number one reason why someone is bullied is either they're real or perceived sexual orientation. Um, And the third one up there, very high, is gender identity. So between those two, you know, at this point in time anyway, it still leaps and bounds over why somebody is bullied. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that sharing stories is great. I think 
um, music and drama and TV um, has helped with those conversations. Um, But I think we still have to see some deep work um, with um, faith communities. I do see a lot of harmful teaching still happening in some faith communities, and I think that's the basis for some sad, sad examples of why um, people are still humiliating other people, and I think oh, that's certainly. unacceptable. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, uh, I also volunteer on the Gay and Lesbian National Hotline, and uh, we get calls a lot of times from young people who are like, you know, I, I think I'm gay, but I heard my pastor say that I'm going to hell. Um, what do I do? And that stuff just breaks my heart, you know, to hear a 13- or 14-year-old kid call up and and ask about that. Um, so I, I, I think you're absolutely right about the work that needs to be done in faith-based communities as well. Um, right. So. And, and even, um, I think, youth coming out in their schools, they're much more accepted by their peers, but it's mm-hmm. parents with that strong faith um, instilled in them. Um, and then, um, because you can't ignore the fact that of all homeless youth, 40% cling it's mm-hmm. based because of their um, sexual orientation, and that just speaks volumes right there, I think. Yes. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, so, you know, just changing topic a little bit, um, or direction, um, tell us a little bit about what it was like for you getting used to hearing the public talk about Tyler. Uh, that must have been difficult for you guys. You know, there's 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 your Tyler, and then there's the the, the, the public Tyler. Um, as we had talked about once before. Uh, can you share a little bit about what that was like? Sure. Um, it was difficult. Yeah. Um, of course, it was at a really dark, deep time for me, um, and I didn't really want to share Tyler at, at that time. And then just mm. to have people talking about him as if they knew him when they had mm-hmm. no idea who he was was very, very difficult um, for me. And then it 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 did take time, and I it was a very foggy time, so I don't even can't even give you a linear amount of time. But it, and it was probably a slow transition with words from good friends. I remember friend Stephen saying that he, you know, Tyler belongs to you. Don't worry, Jane, but he certainly belongs to the conversation of the national public, also. Um, in which case, I could see that that conversation had made some good changes and good progress. And I was waking up a little bit, and I could see that and finally coming to the realization that we needed to be part of that and we needed to tell people a little bit more about who Tyler was as opposed to just that national headline um, of a Rutgers freshman who died by suicide. Um, He was so much more than, than his darkest moment. That was the worst, darkest moment he had, and he was very much more than that. Um, And we wanted to use the media and use the attention that he um, received at that time to make changes and to do good. And that's why now we are um, speaking publicly and um, telling people Tyler's story and telling them a little bit about who he was a little different than the than than that headline. Um, mm-hmm. He was a really thoughtful and kind, caring young man. He, he was a he was a brother and and our son, a very loving son. Um, he actually had a great sense of humor. He was very cheerful. Mm-hmm. He had an easygoing disposition. Actually, he didn't get rattled very easily. Um, he usually was very. Um, good problem solver, actually, which is, um, Mm -hmm. and finding solutions, which is what's so hard for many people to think, because he didn't find the right solution um, in September of 2010. But he was extremely creative, and he loved putting things together. He was smart and curious. He loved to explore. Um, He did have a special love. He He had lots of passions and interests in his short life, but his really... 
special love that he had for a very long time um, was that he loved music, and he was mm-hmm. a gifted musician, and specifically he was a very gifted violinist. He mm-hmm. had um, was one of only two freshmen, incoming freshmen, that had auditioned at Rutgers that made the graduate school orchestra. Um, wow. So that was an accomplishment to be proud of, for Sure. Sure. Yeah, I, you know, I, I have to say that, uh, you know, being part of the Tyler's Suite piece with the chorus, um, you know, we got a window into Tyler beyond the media, you know, and uh, and got uh, got to know some of that, uh, some of that bit of Tyler. And what, what a privilege and an honor that was and something that, you know, very few people will ever really have the chance to get. I mean, it's one thing even when you hear the piece, uh, which I want to talk about a little bit later. Um, it's one thing even hearing the piece, but being involved in it and rehearsing it, um, it, it just was a whole different experience. And uh, so I just feel scared to to have that window uh, to who Tyler was beyond the headlines. Um, and uh, it's great to hear you and talk about him here. Yeah, and it's not a complete story or a literal story from front to end, mm-hmm. but it's a piece of music that just shares parts and interests of Tyler's life, and yes. it's specific to him, yet it's very universal to many people. Um, it, it speaks to um, his relationships and emotions and to love um, and just experience in in life. Um, and it, hopefully we're using this to um, help us to see into the, um, the future and giving us all hope. Uh, for a better mm-hmm. future, and that's what the whole um, purpose was, to make yeah. us all aware of, you know, coming together for something better and for a better future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it is a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. Um, there um, there were eight movements. Now there are actually nine movements, and it's um, it's got some of the um, world-famous um Composers that have worked on Tyler's Suite, uh, mm-hmm. so it's really gorgeous. <laughs> um, mm. And it, um, and I know you did it with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, and mm-hmm. there were seven other um, choruses other than uh, New York that performed it in the last year. And mm-hmm. actually, it will be going to two more cities next oh, year. Great. It's going to go to um, Dallas in the spring as well as Miami in the end of May. So wow, it's great. hopefully making um, change and hopefully will instill change through music. I think music at times is the best um, catalyst mm-hmm. for change. It really speaks to our hearts and really um, can move us in ways that sometimes words can't, or at least for me, words sometimes no. elude me, but music really speaks to me. Absolutely, which is why I love being a part of the chorus because that's what that's what it's all about. Um, you expressed some concerns, Jane, when uh, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago uh, about Tyler's elevation to celebrity status that has resulted uh, as as part of the media coverage surrounding his suicide. Can you tell us a little bit about that concern? Sure. Um, I it's it's a Interesting um, thought, but I, I guess I was m- most concerned with the um, fact that I, I do know storytelling is very, very critical, and, and it's helpful to change our attitudes and actions, um, and we can relate to the emotions and feelings in Tyler's story, but mm-hmm. it's, it's important to make it really clear that everyone understands that Tyler's actions were wrong, um, his solution was not the right solution, and sometimes people or young people especially see someone's celebrity status and thinking that that might be the right solution if they're looking for attention and it's not the right solution he we must all remember that life is a precious gift that we've been given and that we need to treat it as such and we need to find solutions that will help us certainly we should never be the target or victim but his solution is not the right answer to to get away from that um, problem. Um, There's certainly many other, we need to reach out to people that can help us um, put an end to those pains and hurts. Because certainly bullying does leave great scars that can sometimes even last a lifetime. 
but we do have mm-hmm. resources that can help us to deal with these situations, and then we must find those solutions and the resources. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would ditto that. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's one of the that's one of the things about you know the media glorifying everything, right? And they glorify things like this, and it uh, it, it does run the risk of of making it seem like an available option to somebody who might be on the verge, who might be on the edge, uh, contemplating suicide. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's that's quite a concern. Right, and if they think that they can help someone else by harming themselves. That's not the right solution, and that's not going to help anyone else. Yeah, definitely. So where where would you say, Jane, you are now in your journey? Uh, you, your family, where has where, where it taken you? Where would you say you at this point? How would you describe that? I don't think I have words to describe where I am. I'm sorry. Um, I'm I'm certainly active and working towards making things better for others, Um, but it's still a struggle. Um, It's still a very sad place that I am personally, Um, but I think working actively to try to do some good is very helpful for me mm-hmm. in dealing with my grief and my sadness. Um, we did have a very um, bittersweet celebration, bittersweet because our family wasn't all together, but very, very joyful for James, um, my older mm-hmm. son. He was married in February. And Great. just even jo- uh, enjoying a celebration was difficult for me uh, personally, but I was grateful that in the moment of the day I was able to share Ramon and James's um, joy that they were experiencing committing their lives to each other in front of family and and God and it was really very special day so they're almost Mm. on their one year anniversary I guess they're no longer newlyweds almost right we're approaching February (laughs) we're on the downswing of the year (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah wow Wow. Well, that's wonderful. Congratulations on uh, on your son and son-in-law. And, Thank uh, you. I, and, you know, and I have to say how delighted I am that we get to actually say son and son-in-law. Um, yes. You know, so uh, that's just yes. really, really, that's amazing. And also a sign of the progress um, that, right. that, uh, a, that we're making. A positive change, which is great in a... And I think that that has an effect even down to youth and young people to see because they're very smart and very wise. And when you see that there's something to look forward to and that you will have a celebration one day when you find your perfect soulmate, um, I think that that's key for everyone to be able to know that that they can participate in in that celebration. Yeah, definitely. And I also want to acknowledge you for something too that I'm that I'm hearing as we're speaking, and you know the, the the whole the reference to your faith, the references to faith-based communities, um, talking about your son's marriage taking place in the eyes of the public and in the eyes of God, and I, I just have to say how empowering it is for somebody reclaim that kind of terminology, reclaim um, religious concepts and reclaim God uh from the 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 radical right wing that have used that terminology and have used the the notion of God uh to profess hatred. Um and I think there just needs to be more people out there that are willing to also just stand up and say, you know what? You guys don't own God and you guys don't own faith. Uh you know, we do too. And I just I just want to acknowledge you for that because I think that's terrific um, and important. Thank you. I also think it's very important. So I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Yeah. So, uh, so great. So uh, let me ask you a little bit back to the Tyler's sweet piece, um, which you're right, was so beautiful. I know that, you know, we in the chorus, we couldn't, we couldn't get through moments of it without crying. Um, And uh, even though we rehearsed it 150 times, it still 
you know, <laughs> when you perform it and the audience is there with you and you're absorbing the energy of the audience and they're hearing it for the first time, it's just profoundly moving. Um, it's so, so beautiful. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be and how you got involved in it and, you know, who approached you and, and just how did that how did that begin? Sure. San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus actually was the uh, group that approached us. There was a, a man mm-hmm. um, who was on their board and who actually now is on our board also of the Tyler Clemente Foundation. Oh, um, and he approached us with the idea um, uh-huh. at um, San Francisco um, Gay Men's Chorus um, com- has commissioned several other pieces and they work together with other um, choruses. Um, and so there were a total of seven courses, I believe, that came together. Uh, New York was one of them, Seattle, Windy City, San Diego, Los Angeles, and Turtle Creek from Dallas. Um, and mm. um, then they had reached out to Stephen Schwartz, um, who was actually going to just be the coordinator of the piece of music. Um, and he um, had had worked, I believe, before with, or maybe uh, Tim Selig from San Francisco, with Pamela mm-hmm. Stewart Tomlinson. And she was the librettist who wrote the uh, words. Um, and originally, actually, it was only six movements, and then they added a seventh movement, um, which was the 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 wish with um by Lance Horn. And then they and then Stephen Schwartz didn't think the story was complete quite yet, so then he added his eighth movement, so he actually wrote the words um uh, for the brothers piece, um, based on uh an article that James had written for Out magazine. My older son James, um, uh-huh. Letters to My Brother, was was the title of his um, article. And so mm. Stephen Schwartz wrote the eighth movement. And now I believe there's actually a ninth movement that um, was added to the piece. Um, and I believe in the spring will be sung um, in Dallas and in Miami. Um, so it is. it seems to have grown a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, Pamela came to visit with us, and after speaking with us and spending the day with us and speaking individually to my my sons and uh, my husband and I and then jointly to us together, she wrote the original six um, movements. Um, mm-hmm. And then she added the seventh movement um, because it, it just seemed to like grow and 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 evolve, <laughs> which yeah. was um, a beautiful gift. And and there are many hidden memories and, and uh, words in it, such as um, or little tweak twerks about um, tweaks about Tyler's, such as he rode the unicycle. So they wanted mm-hmm. to have something fun in it. So they wrote a piece of music about t- Tyler riding the unicycle. And not mm-hmm. only did he ride the unicycle, but then he would play the violin while riding the unicycle, which it's hard enough to ride a unicycle, let alone to play your violin while you do it. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> in fact, I know that when we staged it, uh, when we staged that number uh, in the chorus, uh, we I, I don't believe we were able to find somebody that can do both. So we had a unicyclist yeah. come out and ride around the violinist. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. That's very, it's very hard difficult. hard to ride to a violin, uh, to, to ride a unicycle. Um, well, I'm sure it's, it's hard it to ride a violin, a of, too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> But um, it takes it takes a lot of balance. I know when I was a child, I tried to ride it. One of my neighbors rode um, a violin. Uh, rode, must be getting tired. Rode a unicycle, and I tried to get up on it a few times. And I, and I was a pretty athletic person, but I just could not get the balance and the motion altogether. Um, it was very, very difficult. But a matter of fact, when Tyler saw it, we were shopping downtown. When there's a bicycle store, and he saw one, and he, which is what the words say in the in the music, um, he saw it in the window and he said oh I want one of those and I was like no it's not it doesn't look like it's not as easy as it looks it's very very difficult no 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 I do I do and finally um we relented and we bought him one and he 
was persistent until he learned how to ride it. He would hold on to the railing and the cars <laughs> as they were parked in our driveway and went back and forth. And then he proceeded, after he had learned, he then proceeded to teach two of his friends to ride also. Um, wow. So it was it was really very special. And not many people ride the unicycle. No. Uh, so it is no. a little unique for him. So and wow, and then there's um, some meaning, hidden meaning in that song where it's um, there's three in one. The um, there's a string connecting to the bow and the, mm-hmm. the and the fiddle and the unicycle. And she was she re- used that to refer to two things. One was um, because at that point there was no brother song. So that was her way of saying, you know, James Bryan and Tyler, that they'd always be connected through, through oh, the Oh, well, I never yeah. knew that. How lovely to know that. Because, you know, sometimes when we're learning the songs, you know, there's points where we're like, what does that mean? Why are we singing that? And sometimes yeah. we had the answers and sometimes we didn't. Um, that's, right. that's, that's delightful. Yeah, well, uh, she had two meanings to it. She said because she knew I was a person of faith, she was also, and she was actually a preacher's kid, as she said. Um, uh-huh. So it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. Oh. But she said, but more importantly, specific to Tyler, was the fact that it was the three brothers, that they would always be connected, and they couldn't be separated. So I, I, I just loved that part of it. Absolutely, yeah. it's it's so amazing. As you're talking, Jane, the first of all, I'm smiling as as you're talking. It's just it's really a couple of things are delightful. Number one, it's just delightful to hear you share about him, and I I hear you smiling and I hear you being happy talking about him, and that's just I am the, now. You know, wonderful. I wasn't always. I didn't always like to initially. Sure. I didn't want to talk about Tyler. First yeah. of all, I wanted to keep him inside, and second, as I talked back about memories for. I know some people really love to have talk about memories when they lose someone or have photos around, but I was just the complete opposite. I actually took all my photos away. I didn't want to talk about Tyler because every time I talked about a good memory, the set, it would only last like a second, and then it would take me into a really dark, sad place because there was no future. There were no mm. future memories. It was over, and it was just too harsh and too it just hurt too much. Um, but sure. now I'm in a very different place. So that speaks to progress, I suppose, and healing. Absolutely. Um, when I didn't know what healing <clears throat> would look like to me, that's the healing and that I couldn't be thankful for those 18 years. Um, yeah. And be happy for those <clears throat> memories. And sure. there were many, many good memories. Yeah, I'm sure there were. It sounds like it. And, and uh, you know, I, I just remember being very very conscious of the fact when, when whenever we performed it that like, you know, you were in the audience and what it must be like to hear all of those pieces. Uh, you know, some of them are delightful stories about him and the unicycle and the violin and, and, and then there's, you know, the stories from uh your other son's point of view and from your husband's point of view, uh, that were very, very sad and then the story the the song from your point of view that Anne Hampton Calloway sang when we uh we did it, and and I watched her look out to you in the audience at one point, and I just I, I it could not wrap my mind around what it must have been like for you to be in the audience and 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 be there and 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 be on the roller coaster ride up and down uh, each time. So I think the fact that you are able to do that really does show healing and progress. Um, and it sounds like you said your faith has really really supported you in that journey. Yes, um, it's- you know. And and while I'm and so I was also going to say is like so while I'm smiling the song is actually ringing in my ears I'm just hearing you know there's a thread that they can't see running through the fiddle yep. wheel and me um, three and one and one and three so yeah. I'm a little uh, I'm a little hoarse coming off of a three day training so my singing is not in the best form right now. So uh, uh-uh. I just hope that Dr. Charles Beale is not listening to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so great. So is there any opportunity for listeners at any point to, to hear the Tyler's sweet piece? Will it be recorded? Has it been recorded or is it really, uh, just the opportunities to listen to it and see it performed live? Um, it has actually been recorded and, um, San Francisco did a recording. Oh, great. And it, I believe you can get it from their website. From oh, the San wonderful. Gay Men's Chorus. 
Um, and I believe some of the songs are on YouTube, or one of them might be. Great. So they can you can do that um, through their website. But Wonderful. hopefully it will come to a city near you real soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We actually have started promoting um, choruses to, um, to, uh, perform to perform it, yes. Ah, so that's great. We have we have the rights now, and we um, are hopefully having will have much interest in that. So I would hope that they contact us and want to perform it. Um, I believe there's a community chorus here in New Jersey that's interested in it. So um, mm. I, my great. goal it, it's actually been rewritten to SATB soprano alto tenor bass. Uh-huh. Um, and it was actually performed in Charlotte, North Carolina, this past um, end of August, beginning of September. Um, oh. And it was, for the first time, performed with mixed voices by a community chorus. And wow. my goal now is, now that we have that written, in that that it might hopefully go to high schools and colleges. And then it will continue conversations and continue to raise awareness of of things that we need to change. Oh, that's that's great. That's so great to hear. Um and I know I often share about it uh in some of my seminars and workshops and uh and people often ask me they go, "Is there anywhere where I can hear it?" And I'm like, "You know, I don't know. I have to find out for you." So now I'm glad that I can actually steer steer people to it. Um yeah. so so that's great. Um, I'd like to kind of get into some of the because uh, as we're as we're kind of getting on uh, toward the end, um, I, I'd like to hear a little bit of, about the foundation. Can you tell us about the Day One program? I've been following along with that, reading up on it, and I, I, I think it's one of the best ideas I have heard in a long time. So, can you uh, encapsulate for us what, what, what the Day One program is about? Sure, the Day One Campaign. The Day One um, Campaign, that's an, right. Yeah, Day One Campaign is an innovative and research-based tool, and it's an effective tool, we think, a simple and effective tool that can proactively um, prevent bullying before it happens. Um, uh, certainly, we people will fall through the cracks and you need remediation, but I think the best thing to happen is to go further upstream and prevent it before it happens because, as I said before, Bullying does leave lifelong scars, so if we can mm-hmm. take an active stand against it before it happens, um, I think that would be that's the ultimate goal, and that's what we really want to do is to ignite that culture shift. And um, for us, we think that this is the effective re- way to do that. Um, there's really four main elements to day one. It's a person in authority, and number two, you would clearly state. Um, what behavior is expected and what behavior is not uh, tolerated in a community Mm -hmm. Um, by reading a a declaration page that we have on our website at Mm -hmm. dayonecampaign.com. And hopefully, number three, you're reading it early in the uh, the tenure of when the community is getting together. So if it's a school, you read it on the first day of school. If it's a a workplace, you read it at new... new, um, uh, new higher orientation, or if it's maybe the first time the athletic team gets together, you read it at the beginning of the athletic season. And mm-hmm. then the fourth is the what I think is pretty much a very important part element, and that is you get a verbal confirmation back from the participants that they've understood um, mm-hmm. that that these words won't be accepted, this type of behavior is not acceptable, um, and we are going to treat everyone with respect and dignity that they deserve. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everyone, but you need to be compassionate and treat everyone with respect and empathy. You have to empathize with everyone's situation. I think that's yeah. key. And We initially were thinking to do it for schools, but we realized that any community can be a day one community or can use um, our day one declaration um, to, to create that safe space that you want and the, the respect and kindness and consideration that people deserve. Um, yeah, so I, I know I I've, done, is, I've done a lot of um, diversity training in my career, and one of the things that we always talk about is, is workplace harassment. There is tons 
of anti-gay harassment and bullying happening in the workplace and other forms of harassment and bullying too. But, you know, uh, again, this is this being one of the, the most common forms. Um, so I'm so glad to hear uh, that uh, that, that you've expanded it to include workplaces and, you know, things beyond schools. Right. Yeah. Actually, we even have a community. Our community um, made an ordinance for our town to be a day one town. <laughs> so, oh, wow. um, and I think Princeton, New Jersey is maybe going to be the second town to do that. They they seem to be interested in it. And it makes perfect sense. Any community or group can be, um, can use the declaration to, um, create that safe space. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So speaking of ordinances like that, I also know that uh, so you guys have uh, crafted and introduced uh, legislation into the House of Representatives, the Tyler Clemente Higher Education Anti-Harassment Act. Um, I understand it was introduced in, in the House by Representative Mark Polkan, who's a Democrat from Wisconsin, and in the Senate by Senators Patty Murray, who's a Democrat in Washington, and Tammy Baldwin, who's a Democrat in, uh, also in Wisconsin, on March 18th of, of uh, this year. Where does, where does the bill stand, and what, is it, what does it attempt to do? Yes, actually, we didn't craft it. It actually was originally crafted by Senator Lautenberg from New Jersey, so it has been introduced through several sessions. Um, This is not the first session it has been introduced to, but apparently bills take a very long time to gain um, the number of votes that they need to pass. Um, So, but but in... It has been written um, and it has been introduced and it was, as you said, just this Senate, this this, um, Congress period, it was reintroduced by um, Senator Baldwin and Senator Murray and um, Representative uh, Poking. Um, and it is a legislation that would um, legislative act that would require colleges and universities that receive federal funding to have policies in place that prohibit harassment of enrolled students, um, and that would be harassment from other students or from faculty or from staff. Um, and it it's broad-based and specifically calls out all protected classes. So based on actual or perceived race, color, national origin, sex, disability, sexual orientation, gender identity, or religion. And um, it would require colleges to distribute that anti-harassment policy to their students. And it would explicitly uh, prohibit behavior referred to as cyberbullying as well. And the bill would create... um, making sure that um, schools would have these programs in place, either initiated or expanded. Some schools may have it already in place, but we want to make sure that all schools that receive federal funding have some form of prevention um, to prevent um, harassment of students, as well as providing counseling to victims and also to the perpetrators and mm-hmm. also to educate and train students and faculty and staff in ways to um, prevent or address harassment, both. So um, I think it's a great place to start because there is no um, anti-bullying federal legislation as of this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are trying to pass a Safe Schools Act, but that would be K through 12, as if the problem disappears magically at grade 12. <laughs> so we 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 think that the transitional period between high school and college is a key time, and mm-hmm. that there's still policies that need to be in place at colleges as well. Mm. Um, so um, as far as where it stands, um, sadly, it has not been received with bipartisan support. I personally don't understand that um, because bullying hurts no matter yeah. who you are. And I would uh-huh. think no party would want to um, stand in the way of preventing someone from being harmed in any way. But, and let um, me I guess believe... which party has not been supportive. <laughs> um, yeah, I bet you could. But I think the most difficult part of the bill is because it specifically calls out key um, groups, and and I think believe sexual orientation is what's the problem from what many legislators are telling us, Mm -hmm. Um, and some want to exclude that wording, 
or allow for religious exemptions for that. And I just can't imagine that that would even be acceptable at all for me as well as for many other people um, because I don't know of any religion that would endorse bullying for any reason. Mm-hmm. And we just can't ignore the research that I had talked about earlier that said that the number one reason that someone is being bullied is um, their sexual orientation. So mm-hmm. how could you want that to be excluded? That just is so unacceptable. And it's yeah. not acceptable to the people that are endorsing the bill as it stands now either. So um, mm-hmm. there's still sadly work to be done. Yeah, that stuff incenses me, this religious exemptions to something like this. I mean, really? Is that what you know? Is that what God wants us to 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 do? Is to be allowed to beat certain people up and not others? I mean, you know, right. come on. Um, that's oh, wow. It just it I can't really speak really to all me. religions, but I I do know my own faith as a Christian. The whole book is about love, right? <laughs> yeah. And how does love doesn't harm? So how can you possibly say that? That's right. No, absolutely. And and, and my faith uh, as a Jewish man, same thing. And uh, in fact, I attend um, on on Yom Kippur on the Yom Kippur holiday. I attend services at a at a gay and lesbian synagogue. And you know, the rabbi uh, often talks about these kinds of things. And it's just so great to know that there's a voice on the other side within faith based communities. Um, right. And there is there is yeah. growing movement on the other side so that yes in fact are you familiar with an organization called soul force i am familiar with it okay because i know that what their mission is something around i can't quote it uh, right now but i know it's something around helping to change the conversation within faith-based communities about uh about these kinds of issues uh particularly around gay issues so um so great so good it's it's good to know several actually out there um organizations um, that are addressing these issues and keeping those conversations and looking more to um, the bigger picture of the of scripture. As I was saying, it's about love, you know, and and what does love look like and what it doesn't look like. So it is yeah. very helpful. Wow, good to know. Good to know. So. Um... Are there any other programs or initiatives that the foundation uh, is undertaking that you'd like to share about? Um, Well, I was very excited um, two, three weeks ago when um, we had a collaborative um, energy and synergy with New York Law School, and Hmm. we um, had a great conference there um, speaking specifically to cyberbullying. Um, and they are doing great work there. And um, not only did they, we do the conference um, that weekend at New York Law School, which was a great collaboration of um, policymakers, political and business leaders, attorneys, social scientists, students, academic educators, um, all talking about the epidemic of cyber harassment. But the hopefully the... Um, what will come out of this conference is that they institute there will be an institute there at New York Law School that will train lawyers how to litigate these types of cases um and win as well mm-hmm. as the fact that they will be the only pro bono law school clinic providing free counseling to victims of cyber harassment wow so i'm really really excited about that because it's like the new frontier um you know technology is is it's not it's not the technology that's the problem, but it's how people use the technology, and it's evolving too quickly. And we have to make sure that our youth and all people actually know that they should have the same cyber imprint as they respond to people in person, as their person in person um, personality is. So, yeah, um, I, I think is a new. Frontier, we need to harness it and pos- quite possibly have some regulations into that area. Um, mm-hmm. So I am very excited about that. That's that's terrific. And and you know I, I often say when I when I talk about uh, bullying and cyberbullying that I shudder to think what my life would have been like if the internet existed and Facebook existed 
when I was in, you know, elementary school, junior high school, and high school. Uh, given the bullying that I got for being perceived as being gay, I wasn't even out. I didn't come out until I was 23. Um, but I was perceived as gay. You know, I was a little on the effeminate side. I was more comfortable hanging out with girls than with boys. And uh, so, you know, I got called all the names and pushed into lockers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, and I just shudder to think what that would have looked like if the online stuff had had been uh, a part of our lives by then. Uh, so it just... Um, it just scares me when I think about how vulnerable uh, young people are uh, because of the Internet and how people abuse it to and, and technology and how people use technology to, to harm, to harm others. Um, right. it's, 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 just, it's just absolutely frightening. Um, so, Jane, how can people get involved and support the Tyler Clemente Foundation and the amazing work that you're doing? Great question. I think the best way is to uh, go to our website, which is tylerclementi.org, um, pledge to be an upstander, and that will get you on our mailing list, and then you'll get um, uh, news updates from us, as mm-hmm. well as following us on Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm not as familiar with the Instagram and Twitter, but we have a great Facebook page, um, and you can follow us on that, and it would be a great way to keep track of what we're doing and where we're, we are, um, and if there's something that we're doing in the area that you're interested in mm, to great. with us. Great. Great. So I just have one final question for you. Um, and by the way, uh, for our listeners, the uh, the info about Tyler Clemente Foundation is uh, also the link is provided on the Mark My Words Radio website in the description of this show on the uh, Listen Live page. And when the episode gets moved over to the archived episodes page, it will also retain that link. Uh, so if you missed that information, uh, you'll be able to find it there. Um, so, Jane, I, I have one one question, one final question for you. Um, what would you say is the single solitary most important thing that you want people to know? Um, I, I think it's most important to always know your resources and to know where to go for help. Um, mm. I think that that is key. I think that was key in Tyler's story. Um, I think that would have changed the ending of his story and I would have love to have his story ended a different way. So I think it's just key that people know where their resources are, where to go for help and support. Um, mm-hmm. Great. Great. Well, that's a really great message to end on because um, there is support out there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, again, I remember I didn't know what support was around me uh, at that time. Uh, and there really wasn't much because it was also a very different time. And uh, I just I, I think often about what difference it it would have made for me to know that I had resources, and I'm just so glad that there are so many more resources available. And I think that what you the work that you're doing is groundbreaking. It's amazing, and I just have the feeling as we're talking about it that it's just the right mix of stuff that's going to kind of hopefully go viral and really take hold and become ingrained in our culture in a way that every young person will know that there are resources and help available without question. And I thank you for really taking an amazing lead at such a difficult time in your life to make that happen. Thank you. That's sweet. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you, Jane, so much. I I, I really appreciate uh, having you on the show. Um, and I know that the, the whole chorus just loves you. I mean, you know, every time we got the opportunity to interact with you, we're just always smiles and our hearts go out to you. And when your name comes up in any chorus circles, everyone's like, oh, my God, Jane is such a wonderful woman. <laughs> and um, it's just it's so great to know you. And, and then I had the wonderful little extra opportunity when you drove me to Whole Foods that evening uh, <laughs> to, uh, to spend a few minutes with you in a car. And I, it's just even more of a delight uh, getting to know you. So thank you well, the so much for being here. was a wonderful group of, of guys to, to uh, get to know. It was wonderful to have them as well as well, all of the courses that I've been to have been wonderfully warm and welcoming. And it's been a great experience for me and helpful in my journey. 
So ah, thank well, you. I'm, you're welcome. I'm glad that we're able to uh, to have been a part of that uh, with you and for you. So uh, my regards to your family as well, Jane. As uh, thank you. Uh, so you're welcome. So that wraps it up for tonight as I invite listeners to mark your words if you'd like. If you have feedback about the show, go to markmywordsradio.com and scroll down to the feedback link. Um, And again, a very special, special thank you to my guest tonight, Jane Clementi. Well, that about wraps it up for tonight, as I invite you to mark your words if you'd like. If you have feedback about the show, just go to markmywordsradio.com and scroll down to the feedback link. If you'd like to follow the Life Coach Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio, just visit us at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Network and then click on the follow button. Also, visit our website at www.lifecoachradionetworks.com and learn about all of our networks. I hope you enjoyed the past hour and that you found it engaging, enlightening, and stimulating. You can listen to Mark My Words live on the first and third Sundays of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as listen to any previous show from my archives at markmywordsradio.com and on iTunes by searching Mark My Words. I look forward to speaking with you all again next time. Thank you for listening to Mark My Words. I'm Mark, and those are my words. Good night.